Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Your greatness is unsearchable. You are so wonderful. There is none that can be compared to you. We adore you. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, honor, glory, wisdom, riches, and strength. We adore you. You're beautiful. The omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God. Unchangeable, self-existent, the eternal one. The faithful God, merciful God, the gracious, ever-loving Father. We hallow you. This morning we are here to draw from the nectar of the gospel. Let that sweetness mingle with our lives. Inscribe your word on the tablets of our hearts. And let this message come not only in word but in power. And in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. In your name will be glorified. Thank you. That you have filled us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That the eyes of understanding is enlightened. And we know what is the hope of your calling. And we please you in every way and walk worthy of you. And we bear fruit in every good work. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you celebrate Jesus with a shout of glory? Hallelujah. Shake three people and tell them you are so blessed to be here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, the, the, the class this morning is too, 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 too low. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We want to appreciate the presence of um, Mr. and Mrs. Kujiku. You'll be missed. You'll be missed. Hallelujah. It's good to see you. Hallelujah. We're going to have uh, their baby dedication right after um, we are done with this session of the service. Hallelujah. Now, um, we want to go straight into the world. We have a lot of things to cover. I was trying to check out uh, by the timeline within which we can be able to finish Christian maturity. And I realized that if we don't take care, we can't even finish next year. So we may have to run very fast and I may have to remove some things so I can be able to continue with some other things the Lord is laying upon my heart. Hallelujah. So we began to um, unveil some realities on the doctrine of salvation. Don't forget we are treating Christian maturity and under Christian maturity we are looking at what we call the three beams of maturity. Hallelujah. Please pay attention. And under the three beams of maturity we said uh, the first one is doctrinal maturity. The second is uh, ministry maturity. 
and the third is what character maturity so under doctrinal maturity we began to look at the eight most important doctrines of the christian faith and pay attention and then we got to the fourth doctrine we started with the doctrine of god right and number two we came to the doctrine of man and sin number three we came to the doctrine of of christ and now we're looking at the doctrine of salvation we can also call it a, the doctrine of grace hallelujah now last uh, time we began to look at the um, the concept of salvation and we had some very wonderful time and I believe that many of you learned a lot when it came to the concept of salvation we also looked at the big question on salvation whether we are saved by works or we are saved before works or we are sorry we asked the big question and we said that it's works before salvation or works is after salvation do you work before salvation or you work after salvation we're able to solve it by the grace of god we said that salvation is the total work of god and man has to only agree through the agency of faith to receive what god has done in christ jesus hallelujah we also looked at the four main things that cannot save a man and according to the book of acts chapter 10 verse 1 to 6 we said that being religious cannot save you Number two, we said fearing God cannot save you. Number three, we said giving can, cannot save you. Number four, we said praying cannot save you because uh, there are a lot of unbelievers who pray, who give, who do some good things, who act religious. But the only way that a man can be saved is when the man puts his confidence, absolute trust in what Jesus Christ has done for him from the cross to the throne. Hallelujah. And... Um, today quickly we want to look at um, the content of salvation if we have time today i should be able to cover also the assurance of salvation these are very basic truths that christians must arm themselves with if they want to go far in their relationship with god the content of salvation we looked at the doctrine of salvation we looked at the concept of salvation um, I think we also looked at the necessity of salvation and the scope of salvation. So quickly today we are looking at the content of salvation. And I believe that you will be so blessed this morning. In Jesus name, amen. amen. Alright, please make sure the seats are very, very filled before uh, some sit in the overflow room. So please make sure the, the whole seats are filled. Alright, so um, when, we, when we speak of the content of salvation, we're also speaking about the ingredients of salvation. Many a time when we hear the word salvation, we just think it's just a word that means you are saved. Praise God. But we want to look at its content. What ingredients make salvation salvation? And you all know that the ingredients of food is what makes the food nice. Am I lying? Because without the right ingredients, the food will not taste the way you want it to, to taste. Am I lying? We also need to know that the content of a product makes the, the, the product attractive. When someone is selling a product, you always want to know what is in the product. What, what content, what, what does the product carry that makes the, 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 the product uh, sellable? Praise God. So we want to explain some contents of salvation so you can be able to appreciate what you have. The word salvation is a very generic word. Very, very broad. 
And uh, we also need to understand that it has other subsets which we want to look at. The subsets of salvation. The best example of salvation, the content of salvation, which can be explained to you is that of buying a laptop. Are you following this? Now, when you go to the shop to buy a laptop, can someone tell me a few of the contents in a laptop? I can give you one. I know there is a CPU, right? Okay. What else? A motherboard. RAM. What else? It has a keyboard. What? ROM. Okay. What? A chip. Okay. What else? A screen. Okay. It has a mouse, inter internally built mouse. What else? Modem. Okay. Speaker. Uh -huh. Let's have three more. What? Channels. Okay. Charger. That's powerful. Now, so do you see that all these contents make a laptop? Now, so assuming you are going to buy a, a laptop, do you go and say, please, give me CPU? But does the laptop have a CPU? Yes, it does. You don't say, give me motherboard. But does the laptop have a motherboard? Yes. So when you go, you tell them you, you are buying a laptop. So the laptop has all these contents to make one word. What? Laptop. It's the same with salvation. Are we following this? So we can say salvation, but in salvation, we mean many things. Are we following this? So we want to look at the ingredients or the content of salvation. So when you want to, when you buy the laptop home and you want to dismantle the parts to know the various parts in the laptop, that's where you find the motherboard, the CPU, the memory, the uh, all the parts that you just mentioned. So likewise, we now have salvation. It is in dismantling the parts of salvation that we get to realize multifaceted dimensions and content of salvation, which gives us a rich understanding of what we have in Christ Jesus. Are we following this? So now, um, the first content of salvation, which every child of God needs to understand, is number one, what we call forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's very important that you understand it. So forgiveness is an aspect of salvation. So when we are saved, we also say you are, you are forgiven. Please, are you following this? So now, quickly, let me just explain it. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is God's gracious act of kindness. Forgiveness is God's gracious act of kindness whereby he freely pardons and restores sinners unto himself. Forgiveness is God's gracious act of kindness. So what we are trying to say is that forgiveness is an act of grace. It's also an act of God's kindness and goodness. Whereby he freely, that means you don't pay for it. Why? Because he paid for it. He freely pardons and restores one who is guilty or a sinner or one who has sinned unto himself. Are we following this? Forgiveness is also 
a system where the claims held legally against a man is cancelled. It's a system where the claims held against a man legally is cancelled. So there is a claim legally held against you. This is what you have done. It's a legal matter. It's held against you. But forgiveness says it is cancelled. Please, are we following that? So it's a system whereby what? Claims legally held against a man is cancelled. So when a man is saved, we are also saying that the man's legal claims that should deserve punishment is removed from there. And in the New Testament, when you read the epistles, you're going to notice that one of the contents of salvation is forgiveness. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. Hallelujah. Now, now look, he says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he what? Quickened together with him, having, now is this future tense or present tense or past tense? Having what? Forgiving you all trespasses. How many of them? All. Now, sometimes many Christians think that it is in apologizing that the power of forgiveness is activated. That's wrong. Because there are many sins you are committing now that you don't even know is a sin. Which we can call sins of omission and commission. You are not aware of it. So if God is going to wait for you to confess every sin before he forgives you, there is trouble for you. So God in Christ did a great work. And one of that aspect of the work is forgiving you in Christ. Legal claims held against you is cancelled. Now I've done a full series on forgiveness. When you go to the podcast, you can learn more. So I'm not going to talk more about that. A song which says, I love that man of Galilee. For he has done so very much for me. He has forgiven me all my sins. And has put the Holy Ghost in me. I love that man of Galilee. It's a simple song. I love that man of Galilee. He has done so very much for me. For he has done so very much for me. It's your appreciation song to the Lord. He has forgiven me all my sins and put the Holy Ghost in me. I love that man of Galilee. For the last time, I love that man. I love that man. Can you sing it, everybody? Of Galilee. stand so very much for me he has forgiven me all my sins and put 
Colossians chapter 3, the verse 13, you're going to see another experience of forgiveness here. Colossians 3, 13. Put that down. Colossians 3, 13. Now the Bible says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ, what? For gave you so also do ye that means forgiveness is something that we have in Christ Jesus so now that does it mean because we have forgiveness there's no need for us to ask for forgiveness now asking for forgiveness in the New Testament is not actually for God it's for you it's for you it's for your conscience are you following that I wish I could go more into details but get the teaching Look with me again to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, the verse 16. Now the Bible says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Say the Lord. Now follow that. He says, I will put my laws into their heart and in their minds will I write them. Next verse. He says, and their, now we're going to read that together loudly. One, two, go. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now we're going to read again one more time. One, two, go. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Glory to God. So we have forgiveness in Christ. Tell somebody, I have forgiveness in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Every Christian must know this. Now we quickly want to look at the second aspect of salvation. Which we call redemption redemption now what is redemption redemption is an act of grace where a captive is bought and brought back redemption is an act of grace where a captive is bought and brought back at a price it's an act of grace whereby a captive is bought and brought back at a price redemption also means to rescue from loss when you are redeemed it means you are rescued please make sure you put down some notes okay it helps you in your concentration it means to rescue from loss Now, an example of redemption is the experience of Israel in Egypt. Now, Israel was in captivity in Egypt. Pharaoh was their master. God sent Moses to bring Israel out of captivity. Now, that act whereby Israel was brought out of captivity is called what? Redemption. They were bought and brought back to God from captivity. Now, and the price that was paid was the blood of the firstborn or the blood of a lamb. Are we following that? So, when you are redeemed, you are bought and you are brought back. There is a ransom. There is a price that is paid 
to redeem you or to bring you out of captivity. Are we following that? So right now, the believer has been bought and brought from captivity because Satan was your former master. And Jesus redeemed you by bringing you back unto himself. So now you are God's property and not Satan's property. Are we following this? Now can you shout that I am God's property? Now you see, the power of confession, uh, many Christians don't know it. By just saying that, if there is anything that has held you captive, by just saying that, you can be released without you doing. Can you shout it again? I am God's property. Jesus has a seal of ownership in my life. Any spirit, any idol that seems to legally bring any claims to put me under captivity, I refuse it and I take my right in Christ Jesus and I declare that I am God's property. I am purchased by the blood of Jesus and I belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. I belong to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, you are redeemed. Now, look with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. The Bible says, in whom we have what? Redemption. Through what? Remember we said that it comes at a price. What's the price? The blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I said, thank you, Jesus. Colossians 1.14, the same thing. It says, in whom we have redemption. Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Galatians chapter 3, the verse 13. Galatians 3.13. The Bible says, Christ has what? Redeemed, purchased, brought and bought back. Us from the what? Curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. For it is written. Curse is everyone that hangs on the tree. So that means when Jesus hanged on the tree. One of the contents we experience or have in salvation. Is that we were redeemed from the curse of the law. And other possible curses. Praise God. So does, does that mean that there are no curses in our family backgrounds? <laughs> when we get to ministry maturity, we'll, we'll handle that one. So does it mean that because Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law, I cannot be under any curse? I'm asking you a question now. <laughs> Now, if you read the scriptures, the Bible says there is no curse without a cause. So, you can quote this scripture and if you steal an iPhone in church, <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> We'll get there. We'll get it. Tell someone we'll get there. Because you see, the thing is that, you see, one of the challenges the body of Christ has faced is balance. 
And thank God you have a pastor who understands balance. Because listen, any revelation that is taken to an extreme at the detriment of other accompanying or complementing revelations of equal relevance, that revelation will soon destroy. Praise God. Do you know that sodium chloride, uh, which is what? Salt. When you take only sodium, it is poison. When you take only chloride, it is also what? Poison. But when you put them together, it becomes what? Salt. And we use that to preserve food and cook food. So any revelation taken to the extreme on its own can become poison to the body of Christ. There is nothing wrong with deliverance ministry, but if that is the only ministry you believe, there's a problem. Because believers must sit down and learn. We can't be talking to them about demons from every year. Demonology. Do you know who is following you? Hey, sister, antelopes. If everything is coming from a family house, you can't grow in Christ. <laughs> Please, are you following what I'm saying? So, there is nothing wrong with that. But there must be a balance. So, there are people who believe that because of new creation realities, that means there, there are no family history things that need to be dealt with. And let me tell you, some of these people are suffering. They are not, they are not mentioning it. I'm a prophet by the grace of God. So, I have dealt with different cases over the years of that ministry. Serious cases. Legal cases. And the people are quoting, I am a new creation in Christ. But something's wrong. We'll be getting to more into that when you're talking about ministry maturity. So just hang on. Tell somebody, hang on. Number three, now quickly. We want to look at righteousness or justification. That is the third content of salvation that we have. Righteousness or justification. Now, this particular doctrine or this particular aspect of salvation is a problem in the church today. In the Old Testament, a man was called righteous when he fully obeyed the law. Please, this is a very important thing you understand. And unfortunately, nobody could fully obey the law. But when you check the Bible carefully, there were men who were called righteous by God. So question, under what standard did God judge them by righteousness? One of them was Abraham. And when you check the book of um, um, Genesis 14 from the verse 6, the Bible says, And Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him for righteousness. So even the righteousness that some of the saints were called in the Old Testament was a righteousness that came by faith. If by the standard of the law, David would never have qualified, been qualified to be called a righteous man. Because David broke all the Ten Commandments. Now I'm telling you something serious. You can go and do your research. He committed adultery. He lied. He bore false witness. He murdered. We can go through all the ten. That once he committed, he broke all the ten commandments. I did a research on it. All the ten. Yet he was a man after God's own heart. God's own heart. 
nobody ever functioned as a king as a prophet and as a priest together never happened you were one of them you can't be a prophet and a king and a priest at the same time it's not possible in the old testament only david was why faith so god used him as a shadow that just like david was a king a priest and a prophet in the new testament we also will be kings prophets and what and priest unto our god praise god so what is righteousness righteousness or justification is an act of grace where god declares us righteous apart from our works righteousness is an act of grace whereby god declares us righteous apart from our works So justification of righteousness is actually a legal activity whereby a judge declares a sinner not guilty. He declares him righteous. God acquits the man. God declares the man righteous apart from his works. That's righteousness. So in the New Testament, there is no boasting because every man's righteousness does not first come by what he does but by what Christ did. Please, are you following this? Shout, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. One more time, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So in the New Testament, when a man believes in Jesus Christ, the man is not only declared righteous, the man is imputed and imparted with righteousness. So hear me. In the New Testament, you are declared righteous, you are imputed with righteousness, and you are imparted with righteousness. So God calls you righteous. He imparts righteousness into you and he imputes righteousness to you. That means he accredits righteousness to you. He sees you as though you are 100% righteous because he sees you in Jesus. Are we following this? Now let's go into some scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the verse 21. The Bible says, For God made him who... For God had made him to be seen for us. Who did what? Knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in, in. So listen to me carefully. You are not just the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. So the reason why you are the righteousness of God is because you are well positioned in Christ Jesus. Now, it's very vital that you understand this truth. Someone says, ah, how can this truth do anything when it comes to me dealing with demons? Hear me. See, people don't know that it's your understanding that sets you free. When a demon knows that you first know you are righteous by faith and not by your works, he has lost. Because condemnation is one of the tools Satan uses to weaken believers to attack them. If you're a child of God who lives in condemnation, something you did two years ago, the devil is still reminding you, you, you are a wicked person. You, you, are, you, you will never, you, you won't go to heaven. You are not part of the, I saw the names of the people who are going to heaven. You are not part of them. Once Satan convinces you that way, what happens is that your Christian experience becomes weak. Your prayer life is affected. 
When it's time to do a deliverance session and you know the sins you have committed, you approach that demon. Are, are we following this thing? So, it is very vital that we understand this position that we have in Christ. So that the day Satan says, you, God, can you, you, you have to cast me out. Do you know the sins you have committed? You tell him, listen, I came here by the righteousness of Jesus. I'm not here my name. Jesus made me righteous. He'll be silent. I'm telling you. Are we following this thing? So, so listen, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's something we received from Christ. Let's take some more scriptures. Now, come with me to the book of Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Look, he says, I do not frustrate what? The grace of God. For if righteousness come by trying to obey the law, then Christ is dead in vain. This is a serious matter here. If you ever think that your works can make you righteous, you are actually frustrating grace. And number two, you are actually saying that the death of Jesus was useless. Listen, if you could ever attain righteousness by your strength, it meant that Christ did not need to come and die. My goodness. If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Let's go into some more scriptures. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans 4, 25. Please, when you go home, go and read all these scriptures. Now, he says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That means the resurrection of Jesus is the receipt of our justification. Is the receipt of our being made righteous in God. Listen, one of the first revelations to make a mighty powerful church is the revelation of righteousness. If you go to a church and the people listening to the word of God do not know they have been made righteous by the work of Jesus Christ apart from their works, that church will never grow spiritually. Are you following this thing at all? Knowing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is the first step to spiritual growth. Which means that a child of God can never grow spiritually without first knowing he has been made righteous through the redemptive work of Jesus. Let's get some few, some few more scriptures. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Quickly, quickly. Romans 5, 1. Now the Bible says, therefore, being what? Justified. The word justified means to be acquitted, to make righteous, to declare righteous. He says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Again to the verse 16 to 19. Romans 5, 16 to 19. Now please follow these verses that we're given now. He says, not as it was by one man that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one unto condemnation. Talking about Adam and Christ. He's saying that the mistake of Adam resulted to our condemnation. But the work also, you see, all of them did one work. Adam did one work and that work brought us into sin. Christ also did one work and that work brought us into righteousness. So that's a comparison here. Are we following that? So listen, we are who we are by the one in whom we live. 
when you were in Adam, it was the work of Adam that declared who you are. Likewise, now that you are in Christ, it's the work of Christ that declares who you are. So, he said, not as it was by one that sinned, that's the sin of Adam, so is the gift for that judgment was by one person unto condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto what? Justification. Now look at the next verse. He says, for if by one man's offense, who offense, whose offense was that? Oh, this class is too weak. Whose offense? Adam. He says, death reigned by one, much more they which receive what? The abundance of grace and of the? Oh, you're not here. Of the? Gift of righteousness. Telling us that righteousness in the New Testament is a gift. Shall what? Reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So that means you cannot reign over sin. You can reign over sickness. You can reign over um, any kind of thing that opposes the integrity of God's grace in your life without knowing that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Tell someone, I reign in life because I know I'm righteous. I, I remember I went to India the, uh, some few years ago and there was one of the churches where I visited and I, I, I said, how many of you are righteous? Nobody lifted their hands, including the pastor. So, I plan teaching something else. When I noticed that, I had to change the whole message. Listen, if you don't know that you have been made righteous by the work of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for you. Very, very sorry for you. Now look at the verse 18. Look, he says, therefore, as by what? One, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon many people, all men unto condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, what came? The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. The verse 19. He says, for as by one man's disobedience, what happened? Many were made sinners. So by the obedience, not your... Oh my goodness. Listen, the disobedience of Adam made you a disobedient man. So every disobedience you reflect is as a result of the disobedience Adam reflected in your life. So he's saying, so by the obedience of Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the cross was an act of Christ's obedience. Just like the eating of the apple was actually an act of disobedience on Adam's part. He says, so of one shall well, well, many be made righteous. So now, question. Whose obedience makes you righteous? Your obedience or Christ's obedience? Can we celebrate Jesus for what he has done for us? My goodness. Let me tell you something. Listen, when we, when we, when we, teach these things like this. The angels are super excited. Hallelujah. I'm a righteous man. Come on, I'm a righteous man. I'm a righteous man. Someone says, hey, hey, hey. Nobody, nobody can be righteous on this earth. Please, you're a proud man. It's either we go by scripture 
or by emotion. Please, are we following this? Let's take some two more scriptures and then we are. Romans chapter 9, verse 30 and 31. You see, God surprised Israel. Because Israel thought they work with God first. So they, they, they were surprised that God had attention for Gentiles. Look, he says, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which is you and I, anybody who is not from Israel is a Gentile. Are you following that? So, which followed not after righteousness have what? Attained to righteousness. Even the righteousness which is of faith. Which is of? Your righteousness is of faith. It's not of your works. So listen to me. You can never attain to God's standard of righteousness. That is how come you must receive it as a gift. Look at the next verse. He said, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Next verse. Therefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were of, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. My goodness. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Now, check this out. I'm giving you a lot of verses today. Now look, he says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by. So New Testament righteousness is by. New Testament righteousness is by. New Testament righteousness is by. Are you righteous? By and not by? I'm working something inside you so you don't forget it. Are you righteous? By and not by? Please don't forget this. Because it will be a shame if someone's church sends evangelism team to go and do evangelism. They ask you, are you saved? Say, mm. you are ashamed. Praise God. My goodness. Is someone getting something from here? Now, Romans chapter 10, verse 3 to 4. Romans 10, 3 to 4. Now watch that. The Bible says, For they, that is talking of Israel, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not what? Submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Listen to me. There's an aspect of humility which has got to do with believing that Christ made you righteous. If you believe it is your works that makes you righteous, you are a proud man. You don't submit to God. Hmm. Now look at the verse 4. Now this will shock you. We're going to read this together. One, two, go loudly. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that once you believe Jesus, you have met your end to any act that you think you can do that should make you righteous. It's the end of it. When you believe Jesus, every journey to make you righteous has ended. So, let me tell you. If righteousness is the finishing line, you began finished. He is the end of the law for righteousness. 
So if you meet Jesus, you have met your end to any kind of thing you feel you can obey to become a righteous man. Now, you see, by this, this is what the confusion is. So he says, man of God, so that means that it doesn't matter what we do, this is what you understand. There is the gift of righteousness, there is the fruit of righteousness, and there is the, you forgot it, there is the crown of righteousness. It's all in your Bible, though. So the gift of righteousness is a free gift. That's what we are talking about that you have in Christ Jesus. So when you receive that gift, which is like a seed, you are supposed to produce fruits of righteousness. That's your lifestyle. And God looks at the fruits you produce based on the gift of righteousness he gave you and then he gives you the crown of that righteousness in eternity. So by this, we don't say, okay, so it doesn't matter what I do. God says I'm righteous. That's all you're saying. But because... The fact that people may take advantage does not mean we shouldn't preach the truth also. Are we following that? So I know some pastors who would not want to preach this because so when they preach this, it looks like people will take advantage. People always take advantage. There are many people who are driving without licenses. So, see, I can tell you, you don't need a license to drive. You only need a car. When you start saying this, you give people license. People, most of people are, are still doing things, so you don't know. See, in churches where people are preaching law, people are still sitting there. People are still getting pregnant there. People are still taking bribe. Is he is is in the Adamic funny nature? I follow what I'm saying. So it is is we need to get the balance right. We must preach the truth in balance. I'm righteous. Come on, shout! I'm righteous. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, look at the book of Romans, chapter four, the verse one to four. This is a very interesting verse. Oh, my time is just running. Why? Eh? Time? Why? He says, what shall we say then? That Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found. Now watch. He says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he had whereof to glory, but not before God. Look at the next verse. He says, for what sayeth the scripture? Abraham did what? Believed God. Now, where can we find this? In the book of Genesis 15, 6. Now, we want to come back. We're going to come back to Romans 4.3. Come with me to Genesis 15.6. Now, the Bible says God promised Abraham a son and Abraham did what? He, he, he believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. Now, what Abraham had was a type. Now, do you know that God promised Abraham a son? A what? A son. And Abraham believed in the son that God promised. And his faith in the son qualified him by being counted what? Righteous. In the New Testament, we also believe in interesting. And by faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God accredits righteousness to us. So back to Romans chapter 4, the verse 3. Now watch that. The Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Next verse. He says, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. 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 Now what does it mean? Now, 
Malagos, so why are you working? So he's working at the bank. So Malago, if you work for 21 days, eh, what are you expecting? Because the company is owing you. So if the company gives him salary, is he an act of grace? Why? Because he worked for it. That's what the Bible is saying. Now to him that work it, that means you're trying to do something good to get it. He says the reward is not reckoned of grace. It's not a gracious gift. If you work 21 days, he gives you say It's free. It's not free. But of debt, the company owes you, right? And look at the next verse. He says, but him, to him that what? Worketh not. That means you were sitting at home for 21 days. But believeth on him that what? Justified. You just sat home and you believed that the CEO of that bank can still pay you salary. Now, does it make sense to sit at home and believe that the CEO of Unibank, which is collapsed, <laughs> or CBG, you are sitting home and you just you are just there and say, I believe the CEO. I just, I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know he can do it, but the man is so rich that I believe he can be so gracious to me that at the end of 21 days, I'll be home and then he'll present an envelope to me. Now, is that one salary? It's a what? It's a gift. The Bible is saying to him that worketh, but believeth on him that what justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for. So, what God is saying something here when it comes to matters of righteousness, He says we should resign from work and receive grace. I didn't say resign from your work. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at the next verse. Now, this one is too good. David looked into the prophetic future and the Bible says, even as David also what? Described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed what? Righteousness without, 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 look at the next verse. He says, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are. Next verse. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. My goodness. Hallelujah. Come on, hallelujah. So the fourth thing we have in salvation or the fourth content of salvation is reconciliation. Let's do it quickly. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now, what does reconciliation mean? To reconcile, it means to make, to make friends. Reconciliation means to make friends and to bring together those who are at enmity. It means to make friends and to bring together those who are at enmity. That's reconciliation. So if two people are logger hurt, you're fighting or having a quarrel, and then um, someone comes in between and gets them back together to become friends, they've been what? Reconciled. Now, secondly, reconciliation or to reconcile means to breach the gap. That means there was a distance between you and the person. 
and someone breached the gap by bringing you together so there's no more barrier so the idea of reconciliation was that sin separated man for your iniquities have separated you from your God Jesus the son through the cross came to die for our sins to take sin out of the way so the son can breach the gap and bring man together so Jesus Christ actually became the meeting place between God and man in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 the verse 18 watch that he says all things are of God who has reconciled breached the gap made friends again to himself by Christ Jesus and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation now look at the next verse he says to wait that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation so listen to me one content of salvation that we have is that we have been reconciled with God Number five, sanctification. Sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Sanctification is an act of grace whereby God purifies and makes us holy. It's an act of what? Grace whereby God purifies us and makes us holy. So when we say you have been sanctified, it means it's God's act of grace whereby he purifies you and makes you holy. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1, 30, 3, 0. The Bible says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. So Christ is your sanctification. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. I love this verse too much. He says, and such were some of you. But you are washed. But you are sanctified. But you are justified in what? The name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now, can we say this together? I am washed, I am sanctified, and I am justified in the name of Jesus Christ and not in my name and by the Spirit of God. My goodness. Hebrews chapter 10, the verse 10. If your study teacher is dead, you say he blows. He says, by the which will, we are, we are sanctified through your offering, through the offering of whose body? Jesus Christ. How many times? Once for all. Hear me carefully. You are not made holy by the offering of your body to God. You are made holy by the offering of the body of Jesus to God. Did you hear that? So now the Bible says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is something we do after salvation. 
we present our bodies because Jesus first presented his body to make us holy. Are you seeing that? So we offer our bodies on the ground of Jesus offering his body. Look at the verse 14. The verse 14, quickly. He says, for by how many offerings? One offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Past tense. I'm sanctified. Hebrews 10, 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies. This is speaking of our spiritual bodies. Washed with pure water. Pure water. Ice water. Hallelujah. Quickly, number six. Let's do it quickly. Deliverance. Now, what is deliverance? It's an act of God's grace whereby he brings a man out of captivity. It's an act of God's grace whereby he brings a man out of captivity or rescues a man from bondage. Colossians 1.13 It's an act of God's grace whereby a man is brought out of captivity or is rescued out of bondage. Now look. He says, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. It's amazing. We are delivered. Last but not the least is propitiation. 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 So P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N. Propitiation. Now, the word propitiation simply means to appease it means to appease. That means one has wrath and is supposed to do something righteously, legally. And something is done to appease the person. That's, that's propitiation. Now, it also means the offering of a gift or sacrifice. of sufficient value the offering of a gift or sacrifice of sufficient value in order that the wrath of another might be appeased i repeat that again we said is an offering of a gift or sacrifice of sufficient value in order that the wrath of another might be appeased First John chapter 2, the verse 2. First John 2, 2. Now, come with me to the verse 1. Now, watch this. The Bible says, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, 
the righteous. Look at the next verse. He says, and he is the what? What? Propitiation. Here it means he is the atoning victim. He, he was victimized to appease God's wrath so that God can accept you. So, Jesus became the atoning victim for our sins. Are you following that? 1 John 4.10 1 John 4.10 Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation. The one who appeases God's wrath. The atoning victim for our sins. Again, we go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 5. No, sorry, sorry. Uh, Romans 3, 25. He says, whom God set forth, that's talking of Jesus, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Hallelujah. Now, the final one here is what we call new birth. I saved the best for the last. New birth is another content of salvation. New birth. Now, what does it mean to be born again? To be born again actually is from two Greek words. Ginao and anothen. Born means ginao. Again means nothing. Are you following that? The word born, which is ginao, in Greek means to begin. It means what? To begin. To begin something. Or to birth. To begin or to birth. The word anothen means from the top. It means from the top. Or above. So born again simply means to begin from the top. That's the meaning of born again. You are beginning a new life from heaven. That's the simple definition of born again. Genau anotem. Genau to begin, anotem from the top. So to be born again means to be born from above. So, it's actually an act of God's grace whereby he bets sinners into sonship. It's an act of God's grace where he bets sinners into sonship. He makes you alive unto himself. He bets you into sonship. So, you are born again. You become a son of God. You are born of God. You are now a child of God. 1 John chapter 3 the verse 1, 1 John 3, 1. He says, What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth not because he knew it not. In the book of John chapter 3, the verse 3. John 3, 3, quickly. John chapter 3, the verse 3 to 5. Jesus answered and said unto him, Very, very, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Next verse. 
So when Jesus said, except a man be born again, what was, he, what, what was he saying? Except a man begins from above. So he says, Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Look at the next verse. He says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Look at the next verse. He says, For that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the new birth is the new creation experience. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's the new birth. He's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's the new experience that you have in Christ. So that's the new birth. Shout, I'm born of God. Come on, one more time, I'm born of God. Hallelujah. So quickly, let's look at um, the next five minutes. On So we just looked at number uh, point six, right? On salvation. Point six, right? He didn't number it. Number one is what is salvation. Number two is concept of salvation. Number three is the big question on salvation. Number four is the necessity of salvation. Number five is the scope of salvation. Number six is the the content of salvation. So number seven, the assurance of salvation. <laughs> Hallelujah. The assurance of salvation. This is, this is a big problem with the church today. I'm telling you, there are thousands of believers who will be found wanting in this particular aspect of the teaching on salvation. Now, it's very important to know that God desires that every believer receives assurance of salvation. So, what is assurance of salvation? Assurance of salvation is the freedom from doubt. It's the freedom from doubt. So, once you are doubting your salvation, that means you simply don't have what? Assurance. So now, I put some point down. All true believers are saved, but not all true believers are assured of their salvation. All true believers are saved, but not all true believers are assured. So out of every 10 believers, about 8 of them are not assured of their salvation. And that's a big problem. A very, very big problem. Assurance of salvation. So now quickly we want to continue. Assurance of salvation is the firmness of mind. Please, this is a very important point. Assurance of salvation is the firmness of mind. Firmness of mind. Confidence. To make sure or certain to make sure or certain is a state of having security or guarantee of one's salvation. <laughs> so assurance is the firmness of mind, confidence to make sure or certain, a state of having security 
or being guaranteed of one's salvation. Please, are we getting some points now? Finally, assurance of salvation is the inner knowledge that God has forgiven and saved us in Christ. It is the inner knowledge that God has forgiven us and saved us in Christ and has accepted us in his beloved son. Assurance of salvation is the inner knowledge that God has forgiven us and saved us in Christ and has accepted us into his beloved son. Now scripture teaches us that every believer should have assurance of salvation. That he's accepted before God. And one of the, the preachers of assurance of salvation was Apostle Paul. He spoke about full assurance. When you read the book of First Thessalonians chapter 1 the verse 5. Paul spoke about assurance. Now look, he says, For a gospel came not in to you in one only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. So the purpose of preaching is to make people assured. Assured. 2 Timothy 1.12 He says, for that which, for the, for the which cause, I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I believe. This is somebody who is talking as an assured person. For I have known whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul was assured of his salvation. To know who you have believed is an assurance. To know that he is able to keep that which you have committed against unto him against that day. It's a man who is, is someone who knows he's assured. In Hebrews chapter 10, the verse 22, the Bible speaks of having full assurance of faith. That means you must be fully assured of your faith. That faith you just you said you believed in Jesus. You must be fully assured of it. Colossians 2.2 2. Colossians 2.2 2. He says that their hearts might be what? Comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches of what? Full assurance of understanding. So you see, assurance is always linked to understanding because if you don't have understanding, you can't be assured. That's why we teach understanding brings assurance. It brings assurance. So if you're somebody who is not assured of your salvation, it means you lack understanding. You can only be assured of what you understand. John also spoke about assurance. In the book of 1 John chapter 5, the verse 13, John spoke about assurance. If you are here sitting here listening to me and you are not sure of your salvation, there's a problem. We have to solve the problem today. Look, the Bible says, These things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you are saved, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He says, You must know that you have eternal life. Of certainty. Peter also taught on assurance. In 2 Peter 1.10, 2 
He spoke about assurance. So almost all the, the key apostles spoke about assurance. You cannot be a Christian for 10 years and you're not sure of your salvation. That's a big problem. Are you a Christian? Look, he says, Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election what? Sure. Sure. NIV. Look, he says, NIV version of the same verse. Look at NIV. He says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election what? Sure. Give that to me in NLT. He says, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Look at Amplified Version. He says, because of this brethren, be all the more solicitous and eager to make sure to ratify, to ratify, to strengthen and to make steadfast your calling and election. So you must, you must be sure of your calling, your election in Christ. You must be well grounded and assured of it. You cannot be a Christian for 15 years and you are not sure of your salvation. What did you learn all these 15 years? So how can I be assured of my salvation? How? How? Now, there are about seven things or seven means by which you can have assurance. Seven means by which you can have an assurance. Very important that you note this point and understand it. Number one, the deity of Christ. Number one is the deity of Christ. That's the first means of assurance. The Godhood of Jesus Christ. So what gives me assurance that I am, I can be sure of my salvation? Because Jesus is God. The deity of Christ. So considering the attributes of God, we know God is omnipotent, omnipresent, unchangeable, and we know Jesus is God. Right? So by the deity of God, considering God's attribute, we can trust that we are truly saved when we put our confidence in Christ. Because we know that because Jesus is God, whatever he does is eternal and divine. He can't lie. So the deity of Jesus Christ is an assurance for us because he is divine and whatever he does is eternal. God will never change his mind. So that's my first assurance that Jesus is God. He's, he's not just a man, he's God. Are you following that? Now look with me to the book of 1 John chapter 5, the verse 20. 1 John 5, 20. 1 John 5 20. Now, look, the Bible says, and we know that the Son of God is come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So this verse there is an assurance. Because Jesus is God, whatever he does can be trusted. Now the second assurance of salvation is the word of God. The testimony of the word of God. Oh no, I, I was supposed to give you another verse in the first point. The deity of Jesus. 
John chapter 10, verse 28 to 30. The first point you just put down. John chapter 10, verse 28 to 30. Now watch. He says, and I give unto them what? Eternal life. And they shall what? Never perish. Neither shall any man do what? Pluck them out of my hand. How can Jesus say that? That nobody can pluck them out of my hand. Who is Jesus to say that? That was a man talking, right? But the next verse tells us something. He says, my father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of what? My father's hand. Now look at the next verse. <laughs> Are you ready? One, two, go. I and my father are one. So if Jesus says he has you in his hands, you can believe him. Why? Because he and the father are one. That means he's God. That is why I can be assured of my salvation. If I'm in the hand of Jesus, I'm secure. Because I and my father are one. What the father can do, I can do. What God can do, I can do. So when I put you in my hand, you can never perish. So we can trust that as an assurance. I'm in him. Number two is the word of God. That's the second means or testimony of assurance. Now, the word of God is an external evidence and testimony. We, are, we know we are saved because God's word has said so. So, what we are trying to say is that salvation is not a feeling. It's not a feeling, it's a knowing. You ask some baby Christian, how do you know I saved? I had goosebumps all over me when I was in that meeting. And the goosebumps, I, I, I began to cry and I was weeping, I was emotional. I felt the presence of God all around me. So, the day the goosebump goes, or the, the enveloping of the love of God, the day you don't feel it, what happens to your salvation then? So it's very important to know that salvation is not a feeling. We don't feel saved. We know we are saved. And where from the knowledge? The word of God. And I can give you several verses. Now let's take one of them. Now the first verse here is 1 John chapter 5, the verse 13. That's number one. He says these things I've written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know, 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 know that you have eternal life. So God wants you to know that you have it. You will not have eternal life when you die. You will not have eternal life when you go to heaven. You have it now and you must know it. That's the first. Number two, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. 1 John 5, 11. He says this is the record that God has given to us what? Eternal life and this life is in the Son. Next verse, he says, He that had the son has life. Question, do you have the son? Then you have life. So how do you know you are saved? Because I have the son. And the scripture says, if you have the son, you have life. These are scriptures you should be doing to you and poor. When you're in the house, you memorize them in your mind and stuff. You, it keeps you busy. It keeps you well established as a Christian. 1 John 5, verse 1 and 2. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Son of... Jesus is the Christ, born, is born of God. So if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son, you are born of God immediately. That's what God's Word says. John 3.30 John 3.30 John 3.30 now, um, 
Sorry, John 3 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what God's word says. John chapter 5, the verse 24. John 5, 24. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Number three is the witness of faith. Your third assurance is the witness of faith. How do you, how are you sure of your salvation? Because I believed. So number one, the deity of Jesus. Number two, the word of God said so. And number three, my faith. My faith. I believe in Jesus. So that you believed in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross is the assurance of your salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Romans 10, the Bible says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In the verse 10, he says, for with the heart one, that's what, believes unto righteousness. Acts chapter 16, the verse 30. Acts 16, 30. And brought the man out, that's the Philippian jailer, and said, says, what must I do to be saved? Next verse. And they said, do what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So faith is a third witness. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Romans 1 16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And that from a child that was known the holy scriptures, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation, which is through faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. First Peter 1 5. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Acts chapter 13, the verse 38 to 39. Acts 13, 38 to 39. He says, be it known therefore. Now look, look at that. Men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. The verse 39. He says, and by him, not by you, by him, all that believe, believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So your faith is the witness. How do you know you are saved? Because I believed that God raised Jesus from the dead. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I believe in Christ. Number four, the witness of the Holy Spirit. The witness of the Holy Spirit. The witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an internal witness or evidence. He that believes 
in Jesus Christ has the witness in himself. The Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are, you are, you are born again. 1 John chapter 5, the verse 9 to 12. 1 John chapter 5, the verse 9 to 12. It says, if we believe the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he testified of his son. The verse 10, he says, he that believed on the son of God had the witness in himself. He that believed not God had made him a liar because he believed not the record that God gave of his son. The verse 11, this is the record that God has given us his son. Are you following that? Now, come with me also to the book of 1 John chapter 3, the verse 19 and 20. 1 John 3, 19 and 20. He says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God who lives in us is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. So there is an inner witness of God within us knowing that we are saved. You just know. It cannot be explained. But you know it. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 16. He says, The spirit itself or himself, the right translation, bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the fourth one, Assurance of salvation is the witness of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost bears witness with me. I just can't tell you much, but I'm just born again. I just know it. You just know that you're a Christian. You just know that you're a child of God. Galatians 4, 6, finally. And because you are sons, God has sent for the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Is it clear? Alright, so I'm going to stop here. Um, we're going to continue from next week. Now, um, the next three minutes, I'm going to um, ask some few questions here uh, to, to check your assimilation rate. Please, let's have a microphone, please. So I'm just going to point and then they get the microphone to you. I'm sorry I'll call anybody at all. So, um, and please lock the door, okay? <laughs> Get your microphone. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to call at random as I'm led by the Spirit. So make sure you say something. And people are also watching you on Facebook. So I'm just reminding you that you embarrass your, your whole generation if you cannot see anything. All right, so... Um, is the microphone ready? Just say try two. Try two. Okay, so we are starting with you. Hallelujah. So, um, we looked at the content of salvation. I want someone to give me um, at least a content. So, uh, you're going to mention the content of salvation. Please, if you're looking into your notebook, please uh, raise up your head. Don't bow your head. Okay? Alright, so get the microphone to uh, Danny. That's first. Okay. So, what's the first content of salvation? Forgiveness, that's powerful, all right? So the man in the Lacoste, yes, give him the microphone. What's the content, what's the next content of salvation? Yeah, give us content of salvation. Redemption. That's powerful, all right? Um, go to the last row, count four, no, count five. 
Righteousness. Righteousness. Seat person. Consolation. Consolation. Reconciliation. <laughs> what? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. All right. So count the next two from there. Okay. Okay. I'm sure you was you are not here by then. Okay. So we'll forgive you. You experience forgiveness as part of the content. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. So this might be a long time I saw you at church. So you just give us one. Yes. Sanctification. Sanctification. That's very powerful. Count two again. One, two. Yeah. Deliverance. All right. The last one. The last one. Okay. On your left side, the lady in glasses. Propitiation. That's very powerful. All right. That's good. So hold the microphone. Be on that same lane. Okay. So that's fine. So we want to look at. Um, can someone explain to me what forgiveness is? What is forgiveness? Are there people sitting in the overflow? People in the overflow. Okay, that's going to be the last place. <laughs> All right, so um, count five. One, two, three, four, five. On that same lane. What is forgiveness? If you can't say it, you just don't worry. Just tell us you don't know. What is forgiveness? Okay, that's powerful. Alright, so Francis is going to help. Francis, what is forgiveness? You just say how you have understood it. Um, forgiveness is restoring our past sins. Okay, you are close there. You want to add some more? Um, freeing us from uh, bondage. Okay, you are wrong now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, let's go to the technical area. Explain any of the content of salvation. Any of them. Explain any of them. I'm giving you the chance. So, um, there are two people sitting close to the projector. Project, project it. <laughs> Forgiveness is a God's act of kindness of pardoning our sins. Okay, that's powerful. Another explanation of any of them, yeah. No reading, please. If not, I'll destroy your makeup. All right, continue. Oh, feel free. Just say it. There's no wrong answer. At least in church, we don't embarrass people. So even if you are wrong, you are not wrong. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. All right, yeah, that's fine. It's an act of God's graciousness whereby he makes us his friends. Okay, that's powerful. All right. Redemption. Okay. That's rescue of loss. That's rescue from loss. All right, that's powerful. Yes, continue. Let's move on now. Order. Sanctification. Okay. Where God purifies us and makes us holy. That's very powerful. I love it. Yes, it's getting juicy now. Uh, Ruth, are they? You are hiding your hair. Open your hair and talk. <laughs> All right, let's move. Okay, Esther, help help us on one of the explanations. You can even repeat. Deliverance. Deliverance. That's powerful. Whereby God brings us out of captivity. That's very powerful. All right. Um, okay, come forward a bit. Okay. Count four. No, not that. Come forward a bit. This area, you are free. Come here. <laughs> come forward a bit. Come, 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 come. Stop. Okay. Explain. Someone should explain from that lane what new birth is. New birth. New birth. Okay. To begin from the top. To begin from the top. From above. That's very powerful. Come forward a bit. 
All right, so um, what is assurance of salvation? Yeah. The feminist or and the inner man feeling that you are saved. Okay, it's the feminist yes. of faith. Okay, that's powerful. Uh, someone should continue from there. What is assurance of salvation? Freedom from doubt. Freedom from doubt. That's very powerful. All right, one person more from there. Being certain of your salvation. Being certain of your salvation. All right, we are done with you. Let's go to the overflow room. I'm glad I can't see your face. So please, overflow room, please, can someone tell me the first means of being assured of your salvation? Pastor Ben, by the leadings of the Spirit, give the mic to anybody from there. You can give it to your wife. Yeah, I'm listening. The, the death of Christ. Okay. <laughs> okay, the deity of Christ. That's very powerful. Can someone give the second assurance of salvation? Out. Come again. Please come again. The word of God. Okay, that's powerful. Number three. The witness of faith. The witness of faith. That's powerful. Then number four, finally. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's very powerful. Please come inside. Wow. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and bless you. We give you honor and adoration for this opportunity you have given to us to share your word. We ask that, Father, by this assurance that we have received in you, we know that our lives will never be the same. We know we have been made righteous. We know we have been redeemed. We know we are forgiven. We know we are justified. We know we are reconciled. We know we have new birth in Christ Jesus. And we know that we have propitiation. Thank you so much. That by this understanding you have given to us. We are becoming more and more better Christians in experience with you. We give you praise that our lives are never the same. In Jesus mighty name. Amen.